Thank you to the band. That was, I don't know, it's just really good to be able to sit and, uh, and worship and just sit in some of those shrews, but also just be led by uh, a group of musicians that are just incredibly talented and just have a huge heart for the Lord. So I hope, hope you all realize what we have in them. Um, like Jake said, my name is Matt. I am one of the, the pastors here, as, as is Jake. We have six of us. And Josh, who is the one that you see up here on, a, on Sunday nights, um, he is, uh, like Jake said, is in, in India with, um, with John Ringo. And for those of y'all that maybe it's your first time here or uh, you don't know too much about what uh, we do in India, we have a, a boys' home in India that we got teamed up with through a, a kind of an outside organization named uh, His Voice Global. And um, the, the boys' home, and it's actually a boys' and a girls' home now, um, is run by a couple named uh, Nabeen and Matilda. They're an Indian couple. And uh, they basically rescue um, boys and girls from um, all, that, that are orphaned, that are um, runaways, that are um, just living in some really bad, bad stuff. And so um, they have a, a house full of, of boys and, and girls, and um, we sent a couple uh, from our church over there uh, last year named Preston and Alex King, and they're over there serving and, and just loving on, on the boys and loving on the uh, the staff, and then loving on those girls over there. And so Josh and John went over to just kind of check on things. Um, we don't get to go over there too often, and so anytime uh, we we do get to go over there, it's just a really good time to build some relationships with uh, with Nabeen and Matilda um, to see how things are going, to ha- let, let them kind of uh, express to us their needs and um, things we can be doing better for them. So so I say all that to say, I mean, y'all can just be praying for that trip. They're going to be coming back, I think, either Wednesday or Thursday. Um, and they've uh, been over there since uh, this past Wednesday. Uh, and uh, there's a, Josh emailed us and said things are going real well. Um, they're just having a really good time of uh, just getting to hang out. Um, there's a, a meeting t- uh, that will be 10 o'clock our time tonight that's going to basically be between John and Josh and Nabeen and Matilda. And it's just going to be a meeting that's going to be able to... Uh, them to be able to talk about some ways that um, that we can help them minister to them better and strengthen um, our our relationship with them. So around ten o'clock tonight, y'all can be praying for uh, for them. So um, so let's do this. Uh, if y'all don't mind, I'm gonna go ahead and pray for that that time and pray for them, and then we'll kind of jump into tonight. So let's bow your heads, Father. I just thank you so much for um, for who you are and just how big you are um, that you are just as present here with us as you are in India with, uh, with Nabeen and Matilda and the boys and the girls over there. Um, well, I thank you that we just get to see such a beautiful picture of your restoration and your love uh, and just your um, desire to see us free through what Nabeen and Matilda are doing over there. Um, Lord, I just pray for wisdom with this meeting tonight. Um, between uh, Josh and, and Nabeen and Matilda, and um, Lord, that you will just help us to see um, how we can love them better, where um, we can see how to support them better, and that they will just be able to um, express ways that we can be praying for them and, um, and ways that we can help them to um, carry out the purpose that you have called uh, for them. Lord, we thank you so much, and we thank you that we can approach you with confidence, um, knowing that you are faithful um, far beyond what we can understand and sometimes what we believe. 
Um, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, thank you all for letting me come up here. I know you all had a lot of say in it. But um, uh, it's just good to be up here. I was telling, we have a t- uh, group of people that comes up uh, a little early to church and, and prays for the night. And they were just asking me how I was feeling. And I was telling them, you know, I'm, I'm actually more relaxed than I, than I normally am, whether that is conveyed to you or not. Um, but I'm, us- I just, I'm, I'm excited about tonight. I'm excited about what we're going to be talking about. Um, uh, I'm excited about just being here and just seeing what the Lord has for us. All right, so we're going to be, what we're be talking about tonight, we're going to be looking at a passage in uh, Zephaniah, which um, is a, a book in the Bible, and it, uh, it is a, a book in the Old Testament, um, and kind of when I knew Josh was going to be out of town and, and knew that I would be preaching, kind of just praying through what I would be talking over, and uh, as a general rule of thumb from what I've heard from people that get up here a lot and preach, uh, pastors, um, you don't always want to assume that, that stuff that the Lord's teaching you is stuff you want to bring up here. Um, sometimes there is that, uh, that opportunity, but, uh, but you don't always want to assume that. And um, praying through this, I think that the Lord just had me in a season of growth in a lot of different ways. And, uh, and I felt like some of the stuff that he had been just really kind of hammering home for me would be good to, to talk about tonight. And so, um, just as a, I guess, as a confession, this is, I'm working through this stuff as well, and, uh, and this is something that the Lord's really just been kind of hammering home for me in, in some very cool ways, but is, I think, very beneficial for us as a, as a church body. So, so let's turn to Zephaniah 3. Um, it is towards the end of the Old Testament. Just go to Matthew and work your way back, like, you know, three or four books, or if you have an, an app, just click open the app and find Zephaniah on there. It's should be a lot easier. So uh, we're going to be going to Zephaniah 3, verses 14 to 20. And I'm going to read it, and then uh, we're going to talk about it. So verse 14, it says, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival, so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time... I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in, at that time, at the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned in praise among all the peoples of the earth, when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. So, pretty, pretty cool passage. Um, a lot of just really good truth. And uh, so we're just going to sit in some of that truth tonight. Um, and hopefully this will be a night that, that becomes very like, personal for us. Uh, that's one of the things I'm, I was just praying leading up to this, is that this would be a time where each one of us can see this as something that the Lord wants to kind of speak um, individually to us, not just um, as a message to our, our church. So, um, so looking at Zephaniah, who, you know, who's, who's Zephaniah? Uh, Zephaniah is, uh, was a prophet uh, from the Old Testament. He was a prophet uh, somewhere in like the 600 or so B.C., um, and as a prophet, Zephaniah's uh, his main task. He was the 
the mouthpiece of God for the people at this time. And so look at the prophets of the Old Testament. That's kind of how they acted. They were the, the prophets, uh, and they were the mouthpieces of God. They spoke the words of God to the people, um, conveyed messages of warning, conveyed messages of um, uh, encouragement. Um, they were whatever the Lord wanted to say to his people. Um, this is what the prophet spoke. And so Zephaniah was a prophet under the time of a king named Josiah. And uh, looking just at a general, uh, just like a cultural context for when this book was written, um, Israel was coming out of several generations of just a ton of idolatry and sin and just um, pretty much just forsaking everything that they had um, known about the Lord, uh, pursuing after the idols of the peoples that were surrounding them. Um, It started with... I think the Josiah's great-grandfather who was king started implementing some of these um, pagan worship practices. And so this continued for several generations until Josiah kind of became king. And he started instituting some reform and just really started bringing the people back to the Lord. So Zephaniah is kind of prophesying in this book is written around that time when there's this shift uh, going on within Israel. Um, Along with the idolatry and some of the, the sin issues... Uh, you see, um, the Israel had been through several hundred years of just being kind of under some constant threat from opposing nations. They were under the rule of the Assyrian kingdom, which is just a, a, a very large kingdom at that point. They controlled much of the Middle East. And uh, so along with being under their control, they were also just under, under constant threat from peoples all around them, uh, wanting their land, wanting to um, attack them and, and all that stuff. So this wasn't necessarily like a real safe uh, time for them. So what you see of people, whenever Zephaniah writes this book, you see of people that are, are probably pretty weary, maybe, uh, because of the fact that, A, they've been just under that constant sense of threat, and then, two, um, they've just been not following the Lord at all, um, and are starting to realize it, probably. And so you look at, uh, look at that, and yeah, the Lord is going to want to speak into that. And so the Lord uses Zephaniah to kind of speak into that. And if you look at the remainder of the book, I know the, the seven verses that we read are fairly positive. Um, but the, uh, the other part of Zephaniah is uh, just kind of really kind of hammering the people a little bit. Um, it's providing a lot of warning uh, for the, the continued idolatry. If they're continuing these ways, there's just consequences that will follow. Um, so he's kind of, it's just a really... A heavy book that really just talks a lot about that. But you see at the end, you see Zephaniah, like you see the Lord speaking through Zephaniah, speaking these words. And, and what you see is the Lord saying that, um, like that sin and that suffering are not what's uh, the final um, say. They don't have the final say. And you see in this passage specifically, you see what, um, uh, what people in that or scholars or whatever, this is talking about what's called the Messianic Age in the Old Testament, um, which really just means that the time when, when Jesus was coming, uh, it's talking about a Messiah. So this is a very prophetic passage. And so we see that the, that the Lord is saying that, yes, you've been disobedient, you've been um, under a lot of stress, you've been under a lot of tension, you've been suffering, um, but there's going to be a day that um, that's not going to have the final say. And, uh, and so... Uh, so that's what the that's the cool thing about this is that Zephaniah this, is, this finishes off the book, and uh, and it just provides a lot of perspective for the for the people. Um, so when we talk about the that phrase messianic age, like I said, it kind of refers to Jesus, 
And you look at this passage, and what this passage is, is really doing is it's talking about the kingdom of God. Okay, Jesus, we talk about the kingdom of God quite a bit as a church. We've had um, you know, community groups about it. Josh has preached sermons about it. And what we mean by the kingdom of God is basically we mean that uh, the, the kingdom of God is the place where what God wants done is done. Where um, it's a place where the character of the king is reflected in the life of the people. And, uh, and I think it's hard for us to kind of understand because we just don't live in that culture. We, have, you know, we don't live in that monarch um, culture. But, but I think when you think about like a king and his kingdom, you think about the fact that the kingdom that the king rules over is going to reflect his character and what he wants for his people. And so, so we see in this passage, this is what that's describing. And what it's doing is it's giving a message, yes, it's giving a message to the people of Israel for sure. Um, it's addressing their sins, addressing their suffering. This part is saying that, you know, it's saying, look, hold on. There's going to be a time in the future when this is no longer going to be the case. Um, but it's also pointing to the, a future date when Jesus would come that applies to all of us believers. And so this is a message of the kingdom. Um, it's talking about the, the aspects of the kingdom that we, that we have to, to hope in and to, to base our lives on. And it's for us. So this is not just a random book in the Old Testament that has some pretty cool words and... Um, some pretty cool phrases or whatever. Um, this is, a, this is a, a time when the Lord is speaking to his church. And as a part of his church, he's speaking to us uh, individually. So I hope that, that, let's just sit in that reality that this is, this is for us. You know, this is for you individually. And uh, I want us to kind of keep that mindset as we work through some of this, some of this stuff. So, all right, so what about the kingdom in this passage is important? I think there's just a lot of stuff that I probably could talk about. But I'm going to kind of hit on maybe three aspects of, of the kingdom and about uh, the heart of the Lord um, in this passage. Um, so the first one I want to talk about is this idea of a promise of restoration. Um, so you, if some of y'all who have Bibles, you can see that the, the heading, maybe the subheading on this is, it says Israel's joy and restoration. And so throughout this passage, it talks about, um, you can see various times when it, in verse, uh, well, in several verses, it talks about this, uh, you know, <clears throat> when I restore your fortunes, and I think in verse 20, um, there's just several times that it talks about that restoration happening. And when we think about restoration, we, we think about that idea of restore. And when we think about that idea of restore, it just means, it just kind of, in my mind, it means um, bringing something back to what it's purpose for. Okay? So you see... Like on a more simple example, you see some of these TV shows, these older houses run, run down, beat down. These people come in, restore them, make them look awesome, make them, make them look really cool, make them look what they were intended to look like or what they did before. Um, you hear that phrase used in some of the, uh, these historical items that are kind of getting beat up a little bit and, and worn down. They restore them a little bit so that they're more uh, close to the original uh, form. And so... So we have this idea of restoration, and we're talking about this text. What, um, what God's promising is that there's going to come a day when things are going to be restored on this earth. Uh, we all have this sense that like, things aren't just right here. No matter what you believe, no matter what faith uh, you follow, we have this realization, I think, internally that just things just aren't, things aren't right on this, on this earth. We have pain, we have sickness, we have suffering. Um, we've seen a lot of things in, like over the last couple of weeks within the news cycle that have really kind of pointed to that. We see just a lot of racial tension. We see injustice. We see um, child abuse. We see, I mean, we just see a lot of stuff. Josh and them are uh, seeing some of that stuff firsthand over in, in India, um, just with some of the brokenness that's over there. 
And so there's this tension that we have that we all walk around with, even within ourselves. Uh, we just notice that things aren't right. We, we do things we don't want to do, and we experience things we don't want to experience. And so we have this, this idea that, like, this knowledge that there's something's not right with this world, something's not right with us. And, uh, and so what the Lord is doing in this, he's, he's saying, look, like, there's going to come a day when I'm going to restore you. Um, there's going to come a day when this, this part of the world that is not right is going to be fixed. And, uh, and so when we look at this passage, it's pointing to, like, yeah, it's pointing to Jesus. And when we talk about the kingdom, we're talking about um, aspects. And we, when we say the word kingdom, we mean that, like, the Lord is making these things happen, like, now. And he's going to fully make them happen in the future. And so a lot of these truths, um, you're going to see things that say your enemies are taken away. Um, you know, it's going to say, uh, what else? Um, that you will no longer suffer reproach. Um, that I will heal the lame, save the lame. So you may look at that and be like, well, there's still stuff going around right here. Yeah, there is still that brokenness. But because of Jesus and, and because of him coming, um, we can sit in these realities now. But we can also hope for the, the full realization of these realities when he comes back. And, and what I hope that we come away with is that we see, like, this is the lens through which we should see life. These are the deeper truths that surpass all the suffering and all the brokenness that we see. Um, so what about like restoration? There's a couple of like specific ways that I think Jesus or the Lord uh, speaks to us about restoration in this passage. Uh, and, and I want to look at some specific things. One of the things he talks about is uh, freedom from the enemy. We can look at verses 15 that says that he has cleared away your enemies. Uh, verse 17 says that he is a mighty one who will save. Um, verse 19 it says that at that time I will deal with all your oppressors. And so there's this idea that restoration means that we will be free from things that threaten us. Um, so I think we live in a, an American culture that doesn't experience a lot of like physical threat because of our faith. Um, we're very fortunate because of that. And we don't experience enemies in the sense where we are being threatened with our lives because of what we believe. But, but we face enemies. I mean, we, we would all admit that. Um, we face enemies um, on a personal level. Um, we face enemies in the sense where we have sin that affects us and sin that tempts us. Uh, we face enemies sometimes on a more tangible level, um, people that we just don't get along with and that just rub us the wrong way on a little bit of a smaller scale. Um, but we face, we face things that threaten us, you know. Um, we, face, we just face a lot of stuff. And so what uh, the Lord is promising in that idea of restoration is that, um, that there is a freedom from that. So what does that mean for us now? Because obviously, like, we're not completely free from those threats. So what that, what that means for us is that, like, ultimately those things can't, like, harm us. There's a, there's a, there's a security that rests beneath the, uh, the threat that, the tangible threat that those enemies face. So whether it's sin, you know, there's, there's a threat of sin for sure. Um, but deep down... Uh, because of who we are in Jesus, because of the fact that we are God's people, that, that sin does not threaten our standing with him. Um, if we live in a country where we are threatened with death, um, death truly does not threaten us because death leads to a life of eternity with Jesus. And so it doesn't mean that those threats aren't real. Uh, it just means that they no longer threaten us to the extent that we, uh, that we have to be scared of them. Um, and it's also pointing to a day when those threats are no longer going to be the case. And I think that's something we can't lose sight of when facing them now. Uh, we can't lose sight of the fact that like, there's going to be a time when that's, that stuff's just not going to 
not going to be present. When Jesus returns and we're living with him on this new earth, um, there's a time when, when sin is no longer going to threaten us, when we're not going to hear about violence against Christians. We're just, we're just going to live in a place where, there's, where peace just kind of rules. And so I think this, it's important for us to remember that as we face the bigger threats of the day and then we face some of the smaller threats, some of the smaller enemies. Um, so freedom from the enemy, one aspect of the restoration that uh, the Lord talks about in this passage. Um, the next, next thing I think is important to, to think about when we think about restoration is, uh, is healing. You look at verse 19, it says that uh, I will save the lame and I will gather the outcast. So when we hear healing, I think we can think about it on a couple levels. The most obvious, I think, probably is the physical healing. And so that, if we think about that in terms of the kingdom, um, I think there are times that you look at Jesus' ministry, like he brought the kingdom in a very tangible way to the earth. So his ministry, a lot of his ministry was like physical healing of the people that are around, which displayed like that's, that's the heart of the Lord for us to be healed from these, these, uh, these tangible physical diseases. Um, but on a deeper level, there's, he- there's healing like spiritually for us. That, uh, verse 19 says that, I will gather the outcast. And uh, when I think about the word outcast, um, I think about people that have been, that feel abandoned, people that have feel like they've been pushed out, people that feel very alone. And uh, in one sense, I think we've all experienced that probably um, in different settings of our lives. I know for me, uh, middle school was a very awkward time, as it was for, I'm sure, a lot of people. Uh, it was a time when your parts of your body just go through changes and you for me, my nose grew way faster than my face, and so it was, uh, and my hair went from being, like, super straight and super blonde to, like, a combination of, like, wavy and frizzy and straight, and so it was awesome. It was really cool, and I tried to do the bowl cut, too, which was, it really worked really well, just so y'all know, um, but I went through a time, like, personally in middle school where, like, I just did not have a, and this is not a, like, oh, you know, I feel sorry for Matt time. I didn't have a single friend except for Kenny Wall, who, <laughs> I, I, I left him and went to another school uh, in seventh grade, so he hated me after that. Um, but no, I, I just went through a time where I just felt very, like, like an outcast, you know, and that's just, it was just a, not a fun place to be. Um, very lonely time, just, just not fun. Thankfully, um, that didn't last, and I, I know all of us have experienced that to some degree, um, but there are people that uh, today that experience that just on a much deeper level. Um, people that probably are in this room where you just feel like alone and feel alone in their sufferings, who feel like the Lord's forgotten them, who feel like the Lord has just been, has cast them off, like people just don't want to be around them, uh, and so we, you know, we believe that stuff, you know, and so when I think of healing, when I think of like gathering the outcast, um, that phrase, I think of a God whose heart is to um, to make people know that they are not alone, that they are no longer abandoned. People that feel like they've been cast off, like that 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 is no longer a reality. No matter what that may feel like, He He wants to gather you back in to make you feel that acceptance, to make you realize that you are loved, and to realize that um, that that no matter what people like people on this earth say about you, like He loves you, you know, and He wants you to be a part of His of His family. And so there's just, when we, when we think about that, there's a healing that happens with, with that. And that's a, a healing that is very um, deep and emotional uh, 
that, that I think people have experienced, some of us have experienced, and some of us desire to experience. And so when we think about restoration, uh, that is a very real, a very foundational aspect of restoration is that feeling of being loved and accepted and no longer cast out. Um, and again, looking to the future, uh, looking to the new earth, there's going to be a time when that is not going to be the case at all. We're going to know that we belong. You know, we're going to know that we belong to the Lord, that we are his children, and we're not going to ever question that. We're not going to ever feel alone. And that's important for us to remember that, that no matter how often we feel that, because just because we realize that doesn't mean we always feel that on this, on this side of heaven. There's going to be a time when that's just not going to be the case anymore. We're going we're gonna to know that we're loved. We're going to know that, we're, that we belong. So, freedom from the enemy, huge part of restoration. Um, physical, spiritual healing, huge part of restoration. Um, another part, and I think this is related to the healing part, is, uh, is freedom from shame and guilt. Uh, verse 19 talks about I will change their shame into praise. And so when we talk about shame and guilt, another, like, deeply a heart issue. Or we, a lot of us, um, this, this can kind of happen on a variety of levels. A lot of us experience, um, like, shame and guilt because of, like, our personality types. So, for instance, perfectionists me, I'm a perfectionist, um, walk around sometimes with this just constant sense of like, I don't add up, you know, constantly feeling guilty about like not accomplishing something perfectly or whatever. Um, so there's a, there's one sense that we just, and sometimes we, we transfer that to the Lord, feel like he's kind of constantly being like, yeah, you gotta shape up, gotta shape up, you're not doing this right. He's constantly pointing out our flaws, you know? Uh, and so on one sense, people experience that constant sense of just not adding up, uh, in that way. People also experience that on a, a little bit of a, a deeper level in the sense where they experience a lot of shame and, and guilt over stuff that they've done in the past. Um, they can't get away from that, you know. They can't get away from their past because they've, they've done such and such, and the Lord can never love them or forgive them because of that. Um, some people have had stuff done to them that they just they can't, they can't get away from. And uh, no matter how much they try, they feel shame. They feel inferior they feel like um, they're worthless. And, uh, <clears throat> and so when the Lord talks about changing that shame into praise, what I envision is just people that have, no matter what spectrum you fall on that, um, whether it's the, the perfectionist that is constantly just you know, beating yourself up or the, um, somebody that's really got just some deep levels of shame because of what you've done or what you have had done to you, um, I see that the Lord wants to heal that. He wants to uh, help you realize that like, that stuff doesn't define you, that you are loved beyond all that stuff, um, that, you, um, that that may be a part of your history, but it's a part of your history that I'm redeeming and that I'm uh, displaying my love and my grace through. And, uh, and I think that as we, like, and that, that stuff takes time for it to sink in for sure. But as the Lord, like, does that in us, like, we begin to experience that healing. We begin to experience that freedom from shame. And for somebody that is coming out of that, the result is praise. So the feelings of shame are replaced by feelings of praise for the, for the Lord, for his love for us. And again, looking to the future, there's going to be a time we don't, we don't experience a bit of shame, a bit of guilt. Um, because um, we're going to be just uh, engrossed by the love of the Lord. Uh, we're going to be um, surrounded by his love. And we're not going to even be aware of ourselves for the most part, I'm sure. Um, the, that shame and that guilt is going to be no more. But that, that is stuff that he wants to do now, too. He wants to change that shame into, into praise. 
And so we don't need to lose sight of that. Uh, he desires that restoration for us. Um, so those are just three of the aspects of restoration that I think that the Lord communicates through this passage. And I think they're pretty big uh, restoration ideas. Um, so second thing that I think that the Lord talks about with this passage with, uh, about the kingdom is there's a, a promise of his presence. We're going to look at verse 17, and this will be kind of where we spend the rest of our, our time. Uh, verse 17 says, the, the Lord your God is in your midst. I'm a mighty one who will save. So the Lord promises like he is, he is in our midst. Um, his kingdom is a kingdom in which the king is with us personally. He is, he is here. Um, and so when we think about the presence of the Lord, we talk about that a lot. One of the, the songs we just sang talked about that you know, he's welcome here, that we are recognizing his presence here, that we rejoice in his presence. And um, if you've been around church for a while, you've heard that, that the Lord is present with us. And I, I think sometimes what happens is like, we hear stuff enough and we're like, yeah, Lord's here, you know. Um, but I think it's important for us to not let that just become something we say, you know. Uh, I hope it's something that, and I think when we look at this, something that becomes very like real to us, that the Lord is actually here, the king of the universe, the creator of the universe, um, the one who loves us is actually here with us, with you individually. Um, so what about his presence is like good, you know? Because there's a lot of things I could probably talk about with this, but uh, one of the things I want to talk about, is it says that the Lord is uh, my, a mighty one who will save so when you look at the original language, like a, maybe a better translation of that, that phrase is uh, like a warrior who keeps us safe or a warrior who gives victory. And so we have the presence of, the, of a king, of the Lord, who like fights for us in a way that, um, and not in, I don't know, I think you got to be careful about drawing like comparisons to some of the like TV images you hear, but um, we think about like the Lord is like this warrior who fights for us. We think of um, a king that like wants to defend his people and that wants to give victory to his people. So all the stuff we struggle with, like he desires for us to, to walk in victory over those things. All the enemies that oppose us, he's going to fight against those things. And he fights kind of an unfair battle, to be honest with you. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a battle that's already been won um, through the cross. And so our, our uh, God is a God who like uh, loves us so affectionately and so fiercely that He like He fights against those things that that threaten us, um, and He's already He's already won that victory. He He gives us victory is one of the ways that 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 verse is translated. So everything that we face now that seems impossible, everything that we face now that just seems like it's gonna go on forever, like there's a promise that uh, those things don't have the victory over us. Um, those things that oppose us, those things that threaten us, those things that uh, are thorns in our flesh, they don't, they don't have the ultimate victory over us because he's, he's the one that has the final say, and he fiercely opposes those things uh, to the point of death, um, sending his own son and, uh, and dying for us. Um, pretty cool. So he's, a, he's present with us. He's a, a, a God that is fully present in the sense that he is... Uh, He's a, one that is able, the creator of the universe, who's able, who, who fights for us, um, who's already won the victory for us. Um, but he's also present in a way that is, like, fully, fully present. 
we've all been in rooms with people or been in conversations with people and we can tell like they're somewhere else. You know, you're talking with somebody and they're looking at you, but they're not really, not really looking at you. They're kind of, and I'm guilty of that. Ask my brother. He hates when I do that. He can tell whenever I'm like not even close to paying attention to what he's saying. Uh, <clears throat> but, uh, but we've all been in conversations with people like that. We've also been in uh, relationships and conversations where we can tell the person is like intently focused on what every word we're saying, like cares about everything that we're saying. And we talk about the presence of the Lord. That's, that's what he is to us. Like his, the king of the universe, the one that created everything, um, the one that, that has been, that always will be, um, the one who really, really can't even comprehend the extent of his power and his glory. Like he is present with you individually in a way that is fully intent on like whatever you, like every single need that you have. Josh talked about that last week. There's no small need when it comes to the Lord. And he is fully present with us, engaged with us. I think of um, like a father with a child, um, and the father is just like like looking at this the newborn child and just being like, "I just I love you. I'm I'm here. I want to take care of you. Uh, every single need that you want." Um, and so that idea of being fully, fully present, he is fully, fully present with us, fully invested in us, desires that we bring him every single thing that bothers us, every single need that we have. Um, and, and wants us to know that he is fully present with us, that he's, he's powerful enough to be fully present with every single person in this room in a very intimate, uh, in a, a very intimate way. And so I, I want that to become very personal for us, that he is intimately present, focused on you. And I don't want, and we're going to talk about this in a second, um, sometimes people are, when we talk about the love of the Lord for you individually, I think some people get a little scared that we're going to become self-centered. And I, I'm going to talk about this in a second, but that's, that shouldn't happen when we really get what's going on. When we realize that the Lord is fully intent on us, I think for us to become self-centered would be misunderstanding that. So we're going to talk about that in a second. But, um, so the Lord's fully present with us. He's present in a way that's mighty. He's present in a way that is affectionate and, and, and focused on us. Um, so, we, so he's present with us. Um, he wants to restore us. He promises that he has restored us. He is restoring us. He's fully present with, with us and is present and, and restoring us. The third um, aspect of the kingdom, of living in the kingdom, living under the rule of, of, uh, of the Lord, is this promise of love and affection. And this is kind of the, the meat of tonight. Um, look at verse 17 again. It says that the... Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. And this next part. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Um, so for me, that when I first read that, that passage, uh, it seemed a little weird. Um, so there's this idea, and what the Lord is saying is that he rejoices over us. He sings over us as his children. Um, and that's not something I, I think about a lot, or I thought about a lot. Um, I think that sometimes uh, that saying that, that the Lord sings over me, I would be really worried about like becoming way too self-centered with that. Um, but there's a reality in that, that the Lord rejoices over us as his, as his children. Like, he rejoices over us. He wants to quiet us with this love. Um, and so I think we need to sit in those realities for a second. And like I said, I'm going to talk about how like, if, we, if that leads us to become self-centered, then we've misunderstood things. Um, let's look at that phrase, quiet you with his love. He wants to quiet 
um, you by his love. Let's look at Psalm 131. Uh, you can turn to that. Um, and I'll read it up there. You got it, Amy? Uh, says, uh, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. So when I hear that phrase, the Lord will quiet us with his, with his love, that's um, one of the things that comes to mind when... Um, when I think about that, we had in that psalm, we had this image of a child who has been, who's no longer dependent on his mom for the, for the, for milk. And so this child is completely content with just being in the presence of the mother, um, sitting in the mother's arms, being completely confident and secure in the love and the affection that the mother has for him and not really worrying about much else. Um, we have just that image of just a rest like a deep soul rest, knowing that you're loved, knowing that you're cared for, knowing that you're secure. And when I see that phrase, like that he will quiet us by his love, when we begin to understand the love of the Lord for us, I think that begins to produce in us a rest in his presence that is completely okay with being there and allowing him to to love us and being secure in that love. Um, In the midst of the craziness of life, uh, the midst of the craziness of life that life produces in the midst of things that that hurt us and that break us, um, we can come to the point where we can rest in the love of the Lord as a, ch- as a, as a child does with his mother. Um, it's sometimes it's hard for me to just, just do that, just sit and rest. And one of the things that has been good for me is just sitting in that, that uh, discipline of, of silence and solitude. So just really sitting there without having to like come to the Lord with anything specific. Um, as much as I want to talk to him about, um, as much as like, I know that he wants to hear what I want to talk to him about, um, there's, a, there's a goodness in being able to sit in silence in his presence and knowing that he loves us the way he does. And, uh, and so that whole idea of like, quieting us with his love, I think he's teaching me and I think he's teaching us like, how to get to the point where like, things can be going crazy around us and we can just be at rest knowing that we're loved and we're secure. Um, just a really big thing for me personally, I know. Uh, so he's going to quiet us with his love. He's going to rejoice over us with gladness, exult over us with singing. So the, this idea that the Lord rejoices over us. Um, one of the footnotes in here referenced Isaiah 62, 5. Um, and that uh, verse says that uh, um, as the bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. So they give us a, it's like a, a, another way to look at this. We've been to weddings. Some of us have been in weddings that um, where we see the groom like just light up when his bride walks down the, the aisle. Um, some of you husbands know that feeling where you just look at your, your wife and you're, there's just something that, that rises up in you. There's just this joy. You, know? you rejoice over your bride. And when the Lord looks at us as his children, that's what happens. Um, in the midst, uh, just like in Israel, you know, they have been living in generations after generation of sin. And then he includes this at the very end saying, no, but I will rejoice over you. And we look at uh, the fact that that is a reality with us who are in Jesus, who, you know, us who have put our trust in Jesus. That's the relationship. That's the reality that we walk in in the midst of the, the, our struggles with sin and, and all that stuff. 
Like the Lord rejoices over us as his children. He rejoices over us as his creation. We are his creation. We display like evidence of his uh, character. Um, non-believers, they're his creation. In some ways, he rejoices over people who don't know him because they're evidence of his creation. Um, he rejoices over us. Um, he rejoices over our pursuit of him. Uh, he rejoices over the fact that we pursue him. Um, we don't do it perfectly, yes, but he rejoices over us. Uh, he rejoices over that pursuit. He rejoices in our restoration, that thing I talked about at the beginning. Um, he rejoices in the fact that he knows like our end. Like He knows that we're going to be completely restored, and that, that, that causes him to, to rejoice. Um, and one of the cool things I, I think we realize that I think Josh is going to spend a sermon series talking about the character of God. But one of the things is is like the, one of the uh, aspects of God char- God's character that I have a tough time understanding. And I think all of us probably will is that He's above time, and so He can see all of time like a like a timeline. And so one of the cool things I think about in this when we talk about He rejoices in our restoration, He is fully able of mourning with us and suffering with us and still rejoicing over us because he knows what our outcome is. And I think it's a beautiful picture of what it means to walk through suffering, is that the Lord can, knowing the Lord, he rejoices over us but can mourn with us. Um, it's just a very cool thing. Um, he can convict us and still rejoice over us, just like we see with a good father and his child. He can discipline, you know, the father can discipline his child and still rejoice over the fact that, that he is uh, his child. So um, the Lord rejoices over us. And when we... When we look at that, when we look at some of these promises, we look at like the promise of restoration, we look at the promise of the Lord's presence, we look at the promise of his love. The love is what, like, his love, his affection for us, his desire for us to be free from these things is what fuels, um, is what changes the way we see the, the ideas of restoration and, and presence. Uh, when we see a, a God who is present with us, who is mighty enough to overcome any enemy that we face, but who also loves us affectionately. It changes the way we see presence. When we have a God that, is, that loves us and wants to restore us, um, we see a God that like, wants to walk us through and heal us in a very personal way, not just from a, from a distance. He wants to be one that is walking with us and restoring us. And So the, we begin to understand that he loves us, and that love is fueling um, his action toward us. And I think when we sit in that, that can't help progressively changing us. We begin to be transformed um, by that love and uh, in some ways that are, that are deep and in and, and some ways that are uh, they're very cool. So one of the things I think about is when we begin to understand like God's love for us, we begin to view our brokenness differently. So... Um, so I talked about earlier how we just we understand that like this world is broken. There's things that are just not right, and on an individual level, we understand that like we are we do stuff we don't want to do. We get in arguments, we get angry, we you know mouth off, whatever. We get impatient. Um, so there are things about us that we just don't like, and there's things about us that we don't love and wish weren't there. But what happens is we, when we begin to understand that affectionate love for us and, and what God's doing through that love, it changes the way we see that brokenness. And uh, I think we, we all deal with that brokenness. Uh, people, whether you're Christian or not, you, you have to deal with that brokenness idea in one way or another. And I think you can kind of deal with that on a spectrum of, of ways. On one end of the spectrum, I think people, and I think more if you look at Christians, um, people that um, deal with that brokenness and that sense of brokenness, 
Um, they, they deal with it through um, trying to like earn God's favor. So you're trying to do all you can to, to fix yourself, and you're constantly trying to be perfect, and you're constantly assessing, and you just never feel like you measure up. So you have this, these people that are um, just constantly feel like they don't measure up, and they're trying to secure, trying to fix that brokenness by fixing themselves. Um, so you have that spectrum. You have the people that are on the other spectrum that have kind of convinced themselves that, yeah, it's, it's whatever, you know. It's okay to do what I do. I can, as long as it makes me happy. You know, whatever I want to do, um, I can do. You know, whatever I do to people, whatever happens to me, you know, uh, everything is, is centered around my happiness. What we would call, like, that license to do whatever, you know. And so I think that's a, a way that people kind of run from that brokenness, run from conviction. And I think when we begin to to like on either you know whether we fall on one side of that extreme or the next or somewhere in between which i'm sure most of us do um when we begin like sit in the love of the lord like that changes the way we see it um if you fall on that that extreme where you're that that legalism extreme or whatever uh you when you begin to like see how much the lord loves you you begin to uh accept your brokenness and i don't mean like be okay in the sense where you just like i don't i don't care i'm I'm gonna do whatever i want to do when I say, like, accept your brokenness, you begin to recognize that, no, you're not perfect. And it doesn't, it's, it's okay that you're not perfect because the Lord loves you in the midst of your brokenness. He is very affectionate for you in the midst of that. And that as you pursue him, like, he is the one who is, who is um, sanctifying you, who is growing you. And you don't, you don't beat yourself up as much. You become more full of grace for yourself. If you fall on the other side of that spectrum, um, when we begin to understand the affectionate love of the Lord for us, um, I think you begin to begin to trust the Lord more and see how much He loves you, and you desire that re- that relationship with Him to where you you trust that what He says is good for you. You don't want to do things that uh, that would um, cause Him uh, displeasure or things that would upset uh, upset Him, and so you. I think there's a relationship, a relational uh, aspect of, of that, that you begin to realize, just like in our, our personal relationships. The more we love somebody, the more we want to be around them, the more we want to uh, please them, the more we want to um, walk with them, the more we trust them. And so I think that beginning to understand that the love of the Lord, like sitting in that love, it affects the way we see ourselves. Um, we, we become less self-centered. And I talked about this earlier. Um, so... And I've heard this a lot, and I think I've probably thought this, and I think there is probably some truth to it. But um, but you hear a lot of times that if you just if you if you sit in the grace of the Lord too much or sit in the love of the Lord too much, that you're just going to become too self-centered. You, you have to be careful; you don't personalize it too much because it's all about the Lord and His glory and all that stuff. And that's that's all about the Lord and His glory. Yes, don't hear me say that. That is not. But part of His glory is the fact that He loves you. And I think when we look at like our personal relationships, people that we know love us um, and that are good at affirming us and good at just encouraging us. Yes, there's a sense of like it should, it should make us feel good and feel more accepted and feel more loved. But we begin to see that person differently and there's a sense of like uh, respect and I'm not going to say worship, but a sense of respect and an admiration of that person that it loves us super well. And on a bigger level, I think the more we see the Lord's, the more we personalize the Lord's love for us, the bigger he becomes, um, the, the more he is glorified in our minds. And we become less self-aware. Um, we, don't, we don't get caught up so much with, uh, like, oh, how do, I, how, you know, how do I look in this situation or, or how do I feel? Not that those things aren't important, but I think the more we're consumed by the love of the Lord, the more that we allow him 
to dictate uh, what is true about us. And the more we just continue to pursue him and the more we realize that he is a God of love and realizing that he is a God of love is glorifying to him. That's what glorifies him is, uh, is realizing how much he loves us. And so we, be, we become less self-aware. We don't become self-centered um, because we're pursuing the Lord uh, more, more intimately. Um, so we look at that on a personal level. It begins to transform us. Like that kind of stuff just transforms us. Um, but on an interpersonal level, when we begin to understand those things inter- like personally, it changes the way we, we interact with each other. Um, when we begin to understand that the Lord loves us affectionately, he rejoices over us, even in the midst of our brokenness, uh, we become more full of grace for those around us. We become less cynical. <laughs> we become less judgmental. And, uh, and we all battle with that. That's, there's not a person in this room that doesn't battle with that kind of stuff, with being impatient, uh, being cynical about uh, people. Um, but the more we understand that real reality for us, we begin to see people as... Uh, people that the Lord loves, he rejoices over, that he is restoring, that he is one day going to restore, fully restore. Um, and we become more hopeful for him. We don't become hopeless. Um, even in the midst of, I mean, there's just, you know, there can be tough stuff that we have to face. But when we begin to understand that personally, um, we can't help but see people differently. Um, and we become, another thing I think, we, we become broken for people that don't know Jesus. We... Those of us, you know, all of us have experienced something, you know, on a on a silly level. You know, say you go on a vacation somewhere, and, and you're like, that was awesome. And you just want to tell people about it, and you want to say, you got to go there. That was an incredible place. Um, those of y'all that are married, like, that, just are walking in just marriages that you're just uh, fully in love, like, you desire for people to experience that, you know? And so when we begin to understand the love the Lord has for us in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our suffering, and the promises of restoration he has for us, I think we begin to become broken for people that don't, that don't know that, that are walking around um, under the burdens of shame, under the burdens of guilt, under the burden of threat, um, and just not knowing that there's, like, there's a lot more to it than that. Um, so we become more... Um, more burden for those. And this is a process. I'm not saying that we're going to walk out of here tonight all of a sudden being full of grace for each other, never getting mad at each other, never getting impatient. Um, but, uh, but it's a process. But it's a process the Lord is no doubt working in, in all of us. So looking back at tonight, um, kind of to finish up, uh, we talked about a lot of cool stuff. Um, the fact that the, the Lord, um, through Jesus, the Lord brought his kingdom. He intervened and brought his kingdom to earth, that this kingdom is the way we see the world. Um, it's the lens through which we see our life in the past. It's the lens through which we as believers see our life currently. It's the win- lens through which we see God. Um, it's the lens through which we see our future. Like this, these realities that we talked about tonight, this, this is the lens that we're, like the Lord has us to see life. This is reality for us. And so I think to sit in these is good. But what I want to do is um, kind of towards the end here. I don't want, and I think I mentioned this at the beginning, I don't want this to become, I don't want this to be just words that um, you hear tonight. Um, this is a message for us as a church, but it's also a message for you personally. And for this to become reality for, for us, I think we need to hear the Lord speak these words to us individually. So what I want to do for the last couple minutes, and um, we're going to bow our head in a second and close our eyes. Don't worry, I'm not going to make you raise your hand or nothing like that. Um, but I want us to... Uh, to take a time where we allow the Lord to love us. 
let the Lord love you on an individual level. Sit in some of these truths tonight. Let him affirm you in the fact that he rejoices over you as his child. Um, he rejoices over you, the fact that you are pursuing him. He wants to uh, tell you that he is, like, restoring you. So I want to kind of um, sit in that for a few minutes. And at the end, I'm just going to read some passages from the Bible. And I just I altered them a little bit, not anything crazy, don't worry. But just to make them more of a personal for us as the Lord's speaking them to us individually. And so um, we'll do that. And as we close our eyes, we can have the band come on back up. Um, so let's just do this. Just for the next minute or two, just want us to close your eyes and just sit in some of these realities. You and the Lord, let's try to... Um, Let's just try to just take the, the posture of the child in Psalm 131, where we're just kind of sitting in, in the reality that he loves us, that he's affectionate for us, and that he wants us to know that. So let's just sit in that for a second. As I'm reading these, I just want you to allow the Lord to just really personalize this for you, okay? These are all, these are all things that he's uh, spoken about his covenant people, which includes us as believers. Um, and so I just really want you to allow these, these words to be very personal. Um, you are my beloved child with, who I, with whom I am well pleased. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so do I, the Lord your God, rejoice over you. I will rejoice in doing you good. I will never turn away from doing you good. I, the Lord your God, am in your midst. I am the mighty one who has saved you. I rejoice over you with gladness. I will quiet you with my love. I exult over you with loud singing. I will bless you and keep you. I will make my face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. I will lift up my countenance upon you and give you peace. Lord, I just thank you so much that you speak these truths to us corporately. Um, But Lord, you speak these truths to us individually as your children. Um, Father, I thank you so much that you are present with us here in this room, in this moment, fully present with each of us individually, your gaze uh, intently focused upon us individually. And uh, Father, I just pray that we will begin to understand more and more how much you love us, how much uh, hope you have for us, um, that you see the end, um, and that you are growing us and desire for us just to, to come to you more in relationship. I thank you that you are helping us understand what that means more and more. And that by doing that, uh, we get to see just more of who you are. And in response, Lord, just worship you. Um, I thank you so much that understanding your love leads us to worship you more. Understanding your love for us, it we can't help but just uh, rejoice. And so I pray that we'll be able to do that over these next few minutes, Lord, that we'll just respond and worship, Lord. For those of us that just have trouble um, feeling that love, and I know it's not all about feelings, Lord, but um, Lord, I know you want us to experience that. Um, And so, Lord, I just pray that you will begin to break down walls of shame, of guilt, of fear, of hopelessness, um, Lord, and just um, allow your love to enter in in those places um, where it seems like things will never change. Lord, I just thank you so much that uh, we can we can know um, that it doesn't end tonight. That Lord, this is a process of you um, continuing to reassure us that you love us. You love us. Well, thank you, Lord, and I uh, pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.